This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Interviews and insight from this week in Cougar Sports. Every Saturday, only on BYU Radio. To lead off, here's the double coverage interview of the week. Joining us now is the great Jimmer Fredette to talk name, image, likeness. But first, Jimmer, we need to bring up something that has become a sensation on social media. Trick Shot Tuesday. I know it's Thursday, so we're going to have to settle for Trick Shot Thursday. But where, where did the genesis of Trick Shot Tuesday begin? You know, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I think that I'm going to be more famous for Trick Shot Tuesday when it's all said and done than <laughs> anything else in this world. Uh, I get asked about it all the time, and it's uh, it's a lot of fun. My 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 wife loves it, and my little girl Wesley, she loves it. She likes to rebound for me. She's always Trick Shot Tuesday in it. But I think it just happened during quarantine. Um, we were kind of just bored, you know, at the house, kind of hanging out, and I had this little hoop, and I was always shooting on it. So I was like, oh, I'm just going to shoot a trick shot. And Whitty was like, we need to video this. You know, we need to put it on social media. So all the credit goes to her. You know, I am just the the talent, but she is the the brains behind it. That's awesome. So she is the executive producer of Trick Shot Tuesday, we discover here. I'm going to say it goes back yes. to when we were leading in, and you're in your car, Jimmer, so I don't know if you could see it, but we showed on the lead-in the highlight of the half-court shot you made at the Utah game um, right before half. Yeah. I think you dropped 33 on him in the first half. I called that game for the na- the national game, and you made me famous, Jimmer, because my call, yeah. when you turned around and you acted like you didn't care, like that was just, I said, yep, there he is. He's Jimmer Fredette. He's just like, my name's yeah. Jimmer Fredette. That's what I do. I make shots. It was the play of the day, yes. and they played my audio, and I'm like, man, I owe that dude for, for <laughs> life. He just He just got me the number well, one play of the day. Well, I'll, I'll get you my banking account information. You can send me some <laughs> some checks, some money if you need to, whatever it is. But yes, no, I love that. I mean, it was uh, that was such a fun fun game, a great shot, amazing season. But at that point, you know, I was just so locked in. Like I made the shot, but we were still playing on the road at Utah, and we had a second half. And I was like, we're not losing this game, so I had to, you know, continue to stay locked in. That's where the Stone Cold face came in. So uh, you know, that's that's how it was back then. That is awesome. Focus. I'll take the the other games that I remember, the San Diego State games, of course, Jimmer, but your New Mexico game in the Thomas and Mac when you went off for 51 and only had one free throw attempt. Everybody was just shaking your head. What's it like to be a shooter in a game where you just don't miss and it doesn't matter whether they're hanging on you or not? Yeah, no, it feels uh, it feels great, obviously. I mean, it's hard to explain, but it kind of just feels like you're in the gym by yourself doing a workout. You know what I mean? Like there's some days where you're just kind of in a zone when you're working out and you're making everything and you're kind of picturing uh, what the game is like as you're, you're going through the workout. And that's kind of how it feels when you're out on the court. You don't really notice the fans. You don't really notice the, the defense in front of you. You kind of just get to your spot and know that you can make the shot when you're feeling that good. And uh, it's, a, it's a special feeling. Um, it's awesome to be able to, to experience that. But it was a, a game that I'll definitely never, uh, never uh, forget. And obviously, credit goes to Coach Rose and, and all my teammates for letting me shoot the ball that much. Because I know that uh, at certain points, they're probably like, hey, if you could pass it every once in a while, that'd be great. So, <laughs> Hey, I'm thinking of this 52-point outburst and all of the incredible games that you had as an amateur athlete at BYU. And then looking at the legislation recently passed for name image likeness so that players can go out and get endorsement deals as collegiate student athletes. What do you think of the ruling 
And how do you feel you might have maximized that if it were in play a decade ago? Yeah, definitely a great ruling. Um, it needed to be done. Um, college athletes uh, needed to, to be paid at some point, somehow. And I think this is the best way to do it, honestly, in my opinion. Um, they can go out and make money on their name. Uh, now they can do stuff on social media and make money. They can do stuff, endorsements with local uh, you know, uh, car dealerships or whatever it is, the, the so delicious down the road, whatever it is, um, you know, they're going to be able to make it make some money, uh, some extra money, which is amazing. Um, you know, if I was uh, had that opportunity to do that would have been probably pretty good uh, for me. Um, you know, I had a lot of people that were trying to come to me and and trying to, you know, make money off of me anyway from that from that time period. And I wasn't able to, uh, you know, capitalize on that, obviously. But uh, now the kids are and I think it's a great thing. Um, and I'm sure that, you know, all the college students that have played in previous years are all like, uh, yeah, I was born a little bit, a little bit too late uh, or a little bit too early. Sorry. So, uh, you know, I think it's a great thing for the kids now and hopefully they can capitalize on it. Hey, Blaine's sending his retroactive payments right yep. now. I'm right? sending it to you for, we're, for we're trying making to me, make up for lost time because I have been Perfect. monetizing it ever since then. So. Hey, that the, those Perfect. those couple of years, <laughs> those couple of years with your Jimmer. Obviously, I got to call a lot of those games um, for multiple networks over that time, and and being with you on the road in the Marriott Center, it was it was like following a rock star around, and that in and of itself, it w- it was always mind-boggling to me that you guys as a team could stay focused with all of that going on around you. I don't know how you did it. I marveled at that. Now I look at this, and I'm thinking. Is this going to be such a big distraction where players are running off to do photo shoots midweek and they've got all this going on? It, do you think that that's going to be a challenge for these college programs to be able to manage the distractions with all of this? Um, at first, probably a little bit, um, you know, just because it's new. You know, anything that's new is is something that you have to get used to. So it's a little bit different. Obviously, you got to schedule your time differently. Um, but I think the kids, um, you know, will be able to prioritize you know, the time and and be able to understand that, you know, the first thing is that they need to to win on the court and they need to perform on the court. If they don't do that, they're not going to get the endorsements anyway. They're not going to be able to, uh, you know, provide, uh, um, you know, be able to get those off the court opportunities. So I think, you know, first and foremost, their coaches will definitely make sure that they understand that. And the, they're not going to miss any practices. They're not going to miss any uh, game meetings or anything like that. Um, I promise you that, you know, they're going to be doing this later on at night, um, early in the morning, whenever it is that they can, you know, provide time on a day off or something. But, uh, you know, it'll, it'll definitely be a little bit different to schedule it at first, but they'll figure it out. You know, I, they're very intelligent people. They know what they're doing. And, uh, you know, they've a lot of the coaches, such as Coach Pope, has dealt with that in his career before, so he knows what that's all about. So he, uh, you know, will be able to facilitate that, and, and, and Kehlani and all the, the coaches at BYU will be able to do the same. So I think I think it'll be okay, but it'll be an adjustment at first. Jimmer Fredette with us on BYU Sports Nation. Naturally, everybody wants to know, What's next for you in your own official and professional ventures now that you're not going back to China because they have made it a Chinese national player only situation. So what is next for you? If you can divulge any information in that regard. Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I wish I had more information for you, Spence. If you could call some teams up for me, I know you got a lot of connections, Blaine, whatever I got you need you. to do, you know, get me on a roster. I appreciate that. Yeah, if, if Blaine, if you can get me on a roster, you don't have to pay me back anymore. Okay, so that's uh, a fair, that, that's a fair deal. I'm working that's, on that's, it. That's, I'm working on it, brother. Fair, fair deal for you. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'll look at everything. I'll look at NBA options. I'll look at 
EuroLeague options, uh, you know, Australian options. You know, I'll kind of look all over the place. My agent's on the phone talking with team teams all the time, um, trying to figure out the situation. Um, you know, it kind of just got dumped onto us not long ago. And, and uh, you know, I've heard different things from, from China saying that they may have players come back later on in the season, um, you know, after the Olympics are over with in February, or maybe they'll just not do it the whole time. So it's 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 interesting. I don't really know exactly what's going on. We're still trying to figure everything out, but uh, we're definitely looking at all the options we possibly can. And uh, you know, but I'll I'll find a good situation. I always do. And uh, you know, I'm trying just not to stress about it. I'm just trying to uh, enjoy time with the fam. And uh, whatever happens is going to happen. You know, if if this is the end of of uh, an era for you in the CBL. Uh, Chinese Basketball League, because of COVID and all the things that are going on, and you turn the page and go elsewhere. What has this time meant to you to be able to play over there? It's been an incredible experience. I mean, I never thought I was going to have an opportunity to go to China as a kid. I never never thought about it, anything like that. And then once I got over there, um, just how Shanghai, you know, kind of embraced me and my family was uh, was spectacular. And that's why I played over there for four years or out of the last five years. I kind of loved it there. Uh, the basketball has been great for me. The organization has treated me well. Um, the city is amazing. One of my favorite cities in the world. Um, really cool city to be able to go and experience. And, uh, you know, so it, it, it'll definitely have a special place in my heart if I don't get to go back there um, anytime for my career. But I uh, had some amazing memories there, some amazing moments. My teammates were great, had some great coaches. Um, so it's something that's uh, it's definitely been uh, character building for me. It's been difficult because sometimes because I had to be away from the family for a lot of that time. Um, had to do a lot of self-growth, um, get better as a person, and I uh, obviously got better as a basketball player. And uh, But when my family did get over there, they were able to enjoy a different culture, different experience. Um, so it's it's definitely made me grow as a person and a basketball player. So I'm grateful for that opportunity. Hey, Jimmer, we just want you to know that uh, if there is ever a limbo situation or whenever you decide to hang it up and stop playing professional basketball, there's always an analyst chair for you here at BYU TV. That was just reconfirmed to me by my producers. The analyst chair is open Love for it. you whenever you want it. Hey, Spencer, I'm sitting, I, I, I'm, I'm yeah. sitting right here, Spencer. I'm yeah. sitting right here. What, like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, I'm t- I'm taking I'm taking Blaine's spot at, at some point. I'm coming for you. Uh, I don't know. You don't know when it'll happen, but it will happen. And uh, I'm ex- I'm excited for the opportunity. But one of these days, I will be on the show live. I will be yes. analyzing with you guys at some point live. That's something that'll be fun for me. Um, I can do all sports. I I am all knowledgeable. Yes. So whatever you guys need, I'm ready. <laughs> yes. I, and I actually believe that. Like, Jimmer's tongue-in-cheek, but I know that he is knowledgeable on all sports, and we would love to have him here. But I'm just like, a minute ago, I'm his agent, and now he's taking my job. What the heck just happened? Get out of here. What just happened? Yeah, well, I'm taking your job so I, you can be my agent. You know, it's okay. a lot of time. That's I have more time to, to focus on you, right? So, no, I, I got right. you, man. I'm going right. to, I'm finding something for you. You know, my connections, we, hey, we got this. I, I do want to talk about a bigger picture scenario, Jimmer, and looking at the NBA playoffs and the, the number of crazy injuries that have happened to just mega stars. It, it really feels like whoever can just have enough healthy, good players on the floor is going to win the NBA finals. Why do you think that there has been such a rash of injuries? Is it just dumb luck or is it something related to the non-continuity of COVID training and all that? Yeah, I think it's probably a mixture of both. I mean, this is something that's been unprecedented this year with the amount of stars that have been injured. I mean, basically every star on every playoff team has been injured 
up to this point, which is unbelievable. So I think some of it has been luck. I think some of it has been the amount of games that they've played in the last you know, year and a half. I mean, they didn't take very long of a break, so which means they didn't get their normal routine in for summer. And, uh, you know, NBA players are definitely creatures of habits. Um, I know that for a fact, you know, they like to get in their, their gym time at certain times and they, they have a rev up period to the, to the season. A lot of guys thought it was going to start later and it started earlier than they thought. Um, and it's just a long season. They played a lot of games in a small amount of time. Um, so I think some of it could be the adding up of being tired and just, you know, doing movements a little bit less than what they you know normally do. Um, so that could be um, some of the situation, but then some of it's like, if you, you know, step on a guy's foot and you roll your ankle, it's not really, you know, being tired. It's just complete luck, you know? So I think it's a mixture of both, but I know the guys are tired. I know the guys are excited for the, for an off season to be able to get healthy again. That's why you see a lot of guys not playing in the Olympics when they normally would. Um, so I think it's, uh, you know, important for guys to get their health back, but uh, yeah, definitely a mixture of both. Well, before we let you go, we always like to check in um, on a lot of the good work you're doing. What's going on with the Fredette Family Foundation? What do you have coming up there? Yeah, it's been great. I mean, our foundation's continuing to grow. It's our 10th year. Uh, We're going to have our annual golf tournament uh, September 24th. We always pair that with a BYU football game. So if anybody's interested um, in becoming a sponsor, we have a few spots left, but it's, it's definitely filling up. Um, so if you were interested in being a sponsor, go ahead and just go on my Instagram and DM me and I can uh, get you all the information that you need. Uh, but we've been doing a lot of great work in schools, uh, creating an atmosphere of kindness uh, for these kids and doing some anti-bullying programs and everything in these schools. And, and we're really ready to, uh, to start scaling and, and getting into as many schools as we possibly can. Um, we've had some great um, help this, this last summer to be able to really uh, focus in on, on trying to get into more schools and try to promote our, our programs to be able to help these kids in these communities promote kindness and be able to be uh, helpful around the communities and uh, it's not just for the kids it's for the teachers it's for the parents everywhere so um, all the communities that have it really enjoy it so we hope to to continue to grow as much as we can so if anybody has any uh any questions please reach out to me or go on friend for that uh, generosity.org you can go on there to find uh, find more information but uh yeah we're really excited about it and it's it's what it's all about for me Incredible effort and work as always. Uh, I guess the bonus question is, as a former Phoenix Sun, are you now officially obligated to root for the Suns in the finals? Yeah, you know, well, I was just curious. I didn't know what the period was. If, if I'm two years removed, do I still get a ring? Because, you know, that would be great. If that's the case, then I will, I'll definitely root for them if that's the case. But no, I... I, uh, I really, I really like the Suns. They're a good organization, but also I love uh, coach Monty Williams. I played for him when he was in, uh, in uh, New Orleans, um, just a great human being, great family. And he, you know, he's been through some really difficult times and I'm really happy to see him coming over the top and had such had such a good attitude through the whole thing. Um, so I'm happy for him. Um, but I, you know, Elijah's on Milwaukee and, and, uh, you know, that would be awesome to see a BYU guy get a ring as well. So, uh, you know, he's going to have to take over Giannis's role and, uh, you know, start averaging 30 and 12. Um, but, uh, you know, I think uh, I'm excited to, to see what happens. It's been a good, good playoffs. Jeremy, great to catch up with you, brother. Uh, we wish you the best. Uh, please give our best to your family, Whitney, your kids, and enjoy your time in Colorado uh, while we await the next professional venture. And I'll be working Sounds on good. it. I'm, thanks, I'm working thanks, on it, Jimmer. I'll be working on it, brother. Let me know. Give me All a right. call. Thanks, okay, Jimmer. Thanks, guys. That was one of our favorite interviews this week. You're listening to the best of BYU Sports Nation.
This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Welcome back to BYU Sports Nation live from Studio B. It is time for Jerem's 10 in 10. 10 lists in 10 weeks. This week it is the top 10 quarterbacks BYU's defense will face in 2021. Presented by Bodyguards. Protection for a life worth living. Learn more at Bodyguards.com. Hit it! 10 lists in 10 weeks. It's Jerem, 10 and 10. All right, there are several quarterback battles that have been undetermined and will go into fall camp. So where there is a front runner, notably at Arizona, South Florida, Washington State, and Georgia Southern, that made this list more difficult. So I chose who I thought might win so that uh, there's one quarterback per school. Two left off, Idaho State and Georgia Southern. Number 10, Jacob Zeno, Baylor. Jeff Grimes has to pick a dude to replace Charlie Brewer, who put up the second-best stats in program history behind Heisman Trophy winner Robert Griffin III. 6'1", 207, sophomore, big arm, made a few great passes in the 2019 Big 12 title game. Only four games played, one touchdown, one pick total. Number nine, Jarrett Garantano, Washington State. Remember him at Tennessee in 2019? Familiar face, grad transfer, lost his job as a senior, so he outie. Threw six TDs and a 2-5 and five start last year. Injured his hand on the first play of the spring game at Wazoo. 32 starts in Knoxville. We'll see if he wins that job. Number eight, Cade Fortin, South Florida. UNC transfer. Played in two games before a shoulder injury. Only upperclassman among the USF quarterbacks. His last significant time was in 2018 at UNC where he started two games as a freshman. Sat out 2019, then played two games in 2020. Head coach Jeff Scott says Fortin's improvement is, quote, really incredible. Number seven, Jordan McLeod, Arizona. We'll see if he wins this job because uh, Will Plummer and Gunnar Cruz are in the mix as well. But uh, starting quarterback Grant Gunnell transferred to Memphis, South Florida transfer. Uh, 411 snaps last year for the Bulls, 64.4 PFF grade, 21 touchdowns in his career, 10 interceptions in two years in Tampa. Had a terrible game against BYU in 2019. It ended up being the winning quarterback in that one. We'll see if he's the starter for Arizona uh, in game one against BYU. Number six, Brennan Armstrong, Virginia. This is Robert and I's guy. 6'2", 215, the lefty says he thinks the Cavs can be the best offense in the ACC. I think he forgot Clemson exists. 17 games played in his career, 20 touchdowns, 13 picks. He can run it too, four and a half yards of carry, 645 yards, and five touchdowns on the ground. Number five, Logan Bonner, Utah State. New head coach Blake Anderson brought his quarterback from Arkansas State with him to Logan. He's expected to win the job. Bonner sat out spring injured, however. He's got great experience. Beat Kansas State in Manhattan last year. 24 games played, 30 touchdowns, 9 picks. Grad transfer who has two years to play, too, although he's been banged up a little bit the last couple of seasons. Number four, Hank Bachmeyer, Boise State. First-year OC Tim Plow opened up the quarterback competition with Bachmeyer and Sears, but I think Bachmeyer wins the job. Uber talented. 11-2 as a starter, but injuries have affected him greatly. PFF grade of 76 in 2020. Eight offensive starters return around him, including George Helani at running back and Khalil Shakir and C.T. Thomas at wide end. Number three, Charlie Brewer, Utah. Transfer from Baylor, second most yards, 9,765 touchdowns ever at Baylor. That's behind Robert Griffin III. Had a 91 grade from PFF in 2018, then an 81, and then a 63 the last two years. He will technically have to beat out Cameron Rising, who was the 2020 season starter before being hurt 14 snaps in. Former South Carolina quarterback Jake Bentley transferred to South Alabama. I think Charlie Brewer is the guy at Utah. Number two, Jaden Daniels, Arizona State. 
Best dual threat BYU will face this year. He limits mistakes. He can run it too. 6.8 yards per carry and four touchdowns in 2020. Just the four games though. 60% passer in two years. 8.6 yards per attempt. 22 touchdowns, three picks. He's very efficient. Although he doesn't stretch it down the field with a big arm per se. Seven rushing touchdowns. If he has to shoulder the offensive load, it will be hard though for Arizona State. And the top quarterback BYU will face on the 2021 schedule is Keaton Slovis at USC. As a freshman in 2019, he took third in the country in completion percentage. Did lose to BYU in overtime, as you recall. As a sophomore, he led the Trojans to a 5-0 record in the regular season. First team All-Pac-12 led the league in every major passing category. 320 yards a game as well. Sixth in the country. And four-star local product from Corner Canyon High School quarterback Jackson Dart is behind him. So we'll see if Dart gets some playing time. And those are the top ten quarterbacks BYU will face on the 2021 schedule. Jerem Jordan's 10 in 10. 10 weeks, 10 lists. As he mentioned, the top 10 quarterbacks BYU will face. Okay, we have a few questions yeah, yeah. about we, this list. Like Blaine. Garantano from Washington State, he has it number nine. Number nine below yeah, South it, Florida's so, quarterback? So, so I, I just feel like he's a couple of spots underrated. Yes, right? so he, he, should, he should be up around six or up. seven. And hey, Jerem did a good job because we don't have like dramatic. I think that maybe Brandon Armstrong for Virginia, he's got him number six. Maybe he should move up a spot in front of Logan Bonner, who's okay. unproven, and move him back to, to six. And then Hank Bachmeyer, I think, is maybe – I know he's got him as his number four. But Hank Bachmeyer, when he's healthy, is a really good player, and he knows that system. He's he just defensive. hasn't been healthy very much. He's, he's never been healthy. If, if, if Hank Bachmeyer's healthy, he's in that top three. He's right up there, maybe just slightly behind Jaden Daniels. And, and Charlie Brewer, to me – I look at film on him from a couple years ago, and I go, this dude is ridiculous, right? And he's going to be great. But then he tailed off at Baylor, and now he transfers. He's got to be in a new offense. So I'm a, I think Charlie Brewer is going to be good, but I'm a wait and see. I think Hank Bachmeyer is more of a proven commodity. Um, Charlie Brewer may surprise me big time, but I'd switch those two. I'd put Hank Bachmeyer in front okay. of Charlie Brewer. I agree with his top two. Jaden Daniels is dynamic as they come. He, he's the guy that you cover everybody on third and 15, and he just runs and gets a first down and drives you out of your mind. And he's very <laughs> accurate, and he's smart with the football. I really like Jaden Daniels. And Keaton Slovis is a solid performer with all kinds of talent around him. Yes. So not huge disagreements with Jaron, but a, f- a few I think we could, you know, maybe switch around a little. Right. Underrated Washington State quarterback and Hank Bachmeyer, I think he needs to move up a spot. Keaton Slovis, uh, it's become famous over the past few weeks, called Provo Weird. So maybe okay. it gets weird in L.A. and BYU pulls a stunner. We are a peculiar people here, <laughs> and I'm okay with that. So, The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Joining us now over Zoom is one of the newer members of the BYU Athletics family. He is a doctor, an expert in his field for sure. Darren Campbell joins us. Great to have you with us on BYU Sports Nation for your debut. How are you? Good. Good to be here. Thanks. We've got a number of things that we want to talk to you about, uh, notably because it's still so fresh in all of our minds, just the general COVID experience for you as a doctor in your field, working with so many different opinions. 
How have you managed all of that? And uh, where do you feel like we are as a society in, in the state of Utah, specifically for BYU athletes with COVID? Well, you know, last year was a challenge for sure, but I think it's important to remember, you know, we're still part of this. I, you know, I, I think last year I had a conversation with another one of our docs who uh, works in the ICU, one of our critical care docs. And, you know, we were asking about some concerns for some infections with some athletes. You know, how do we take care of them the right way? You know, what's our criteria for looking at hospitalization, those kinds of things. And, you know, I think there was some frustration on that, that critical care docs part, you know, he talked about a shift. He just had some patients pass away, and it, that had been the case for several nights in a row. You know, and he looked at it and said, I don't, you know, just in frustration, why are, why are you, why are we doing this? Why are we still having sports? Why, you know, there's people out there. This is a significant illness. You know, and as we talked, it was, you know, first of all, just tired and frustrated. And, you know, he was being worked really as all those medical staff in those environments were. And as we talked, it was, hey, this is going on, and this is an important part of kind of what we do in society. And so how do we, how do, even though we recognize the, the severity and importance of what's going on, how do we handle this from a, from a sports perspective? Can we safely participate? Um, can we take care of the athletes, protect them in the right way, and still let them get their experience and, and let people see what's going on and bring some, some joy and some entertainment? And you know, having that conversation, really, I think that juxtaposition was a great example of what last year was. Um, you know, this year going forward, it's important to remember COVID's still there. And so we've seen numbers drop, but, you know, we've seen some upticks over the past, you know, few days and weeks. And so it's still important to stay, you know, keep that in our minds and, and, and do smart things. I think one of the biggest things is, is immunizations. You know, a lot of controversy on that, you know, from a medical standpoint, I think that's very important. And it does change how we monitor and track and quarantine our athletes coming up in the in the fall season and whether we can still have, you know, events. If we, you know, as we start to gather and have fans in place, it's going to be important for all of us to remember there's still, you know, a COVID pandemic going on. You know, I, we managed it last year. We can do it this year. But the key for last year was, Everybody did their part. That was the success. Athletes, coaches, administration, fans, everybody. And so we need to make sure we're doing that this coming year. You know, we got a chance to be a little closer than just people out in the general public to watch behind the scenes how you and your medical team and these sports teams manage through it. I think discipline is the word that comes to mind. People don't appreciate the amount of discipline that these athletes and coaches had to uh, to put out there to be able to play a season like the BYU football team did this last season. How did you manage through that, and how did you keep these guys focused and disciplined? Well, I think early on, as we were all trying to gauge the scope of that early in the season, you know, we were happy to get our first game and and, and have that, and, that, you know, that felt so successful. And then to come home and have not just a few athletes who contracted COVID, but then go through the quarantine process, I think it was a big reality check for everybody. And I, and I think it was at that point where that discipline really kicked in. We saw athletes and coaches recognize what can I do to help? And it was, you know, at that time it was wear your mask when we're interacting at all times on the flights, um, spacing differently, um, taking care of who the, the athletes interacted with and whether or not they had their mask on outside of football, outside of the athletic training room, outside of, you know, in their environment, just when they're hanging out because they recognized what that meant to the team if they were to contract COVID or had to be on quarantine because of that. So 
that's where everybody becomes, you know, selfless and jumps in and says, what do I need to do to help the team? What's my part? And, you know, that's a hard thing to do all the time. And they did a fantastic job last year. So, you know, we'll see how we how things happen this year and how things go. Dr. Darren Campbell is with us on BYU Sports Nation discussing the COVID pandemic, the progress that's been made, and he's also an expert in concussions. In fact, BYU is hosting the first annual Intermountain Concussion Conference coming up on July 16th. I hear that word. I associate it with football, specifically one of the BYU quarterbacks, Jaron Hall. I mean, it is very, very uh, a pressing issue for sure. So, why do you feel like it's so important that a conference like this happens on concussions based on everything that has, I guess, uh, revealed itself over the last 10 years of research? Well, I think it's really important because it's, you know, it's out there. Um, when we look at sports like football, you know, having a conversation on concussion and make sure we're handling it the right way really is is important because that's going to, you know, I don't I don't know that we can have football in the way that we've had in the past if we don't take care of concussions the right way. But I think the conference is important because, you know, concussion injuries aren't just about sports. You know, that's where I see it all the time. But I also you know, run a concussion clinic here in Intermountain. And in truth, in our clinic, we see more concussions from uh, things outside of sports. You know, just walking down the street, slipped on the ice, fell in the shower, um, just playing catch with my kids and fell down. There's so many ways to get concussion. And so our research has really been based around athletes because it's a population we can, we can, we, we know they have medical care. We can track and follow. They're very interested in being better, but this affects so many people of all ages. And so that's what this concussion conference is about is talking about concussion, bringing the awareness to the whole community and trying to talk about ways we can not only take care of it, diagnose it, um, but also prevent it. You know, the, this has changed a lot in the past decade. We were really in the dark ages for concussion, and we're doing better, but we're just scratching the surface. You know, with with athletes in mind in particular, we've seen a dramatic change in the way you guys manage concussions on and off the field. Hey, back when I was playing, it was like, how many fingers do I have up? And if I was within one, that um, I could go back in the game, right? Uh, and now there's there's very stringent protocols, and it seems like they're changing uh, every year. What what has changed the most about how you manage it in the last ten years? Well, I think we're better at um, recognizing the complexity of a concussion, all the different aspects that, that it can affect. You know, we always associate headache with that, or were you knocked out? Um, but really, you know, the brain not only processes information. You know, it's our attention center. It synchronizes so many different functions, and they have to work together, a vision and a balance system. And so having a complete sort of diagnostic process, we don't have a simple test. There's no rapid test, strep test for concussion diagnosis or an imaging process that we can just use to say you have a concussion or you don't. So there's a host of different tests, and we try and keep that as concise and as precise as we can. And that's one area I think we're getting better as we collect a lot of data. But then I think the biggest area is making sure that a concussion injury is healed all the way before we return. Because we now have good research that shows if you go back too soon, you're at risk for another concussion much more quickly if we, if we get you back. And some of those long-term issues that we're, we've seen with um, the NFL and some athletes that have had multiple, multiple blows to the head and concussions for a long time, those long-term effects. 
One of the keys for that is making sure you're better all the way from each injury before you return. We know that former BYU star legend receiver Austin Colley uh, had some really rough experiences that he's going to be involved in this. And for those that want more information on this conference coming up on July 16th, where can they go to get that? So um, if you search concussion conference Intermountain, it'll pull it up. Um, uh, and, and what it's going to, Austin Collie, what, we, what we've done with this concussion conference is we have a teaching session for our medical professionals, and that's kind of during the day. We've been wanting to do this for quite a while. I think that's going to expand in the future. But a key part that we wanted to have for this is a community awareness session. And so we'll have our entire concussion team there to answer questions for the public, coaches, players, athletes, moms and dads, whoever wants to come. Um, we're going to have Austin Colley come and talk there, talk about his experience um, talk about, you know, those kind of questions that people want to know. You've had concussions, Austin. Are your kids going to play football? What are your plans for that um, after he's experienced those things? And so, you know, we're excited to hear from him. And then one important part for this is we're going to have Alpine School District talk about how they've taken ownership of sort of this return to learn piece, which is so vital. You know, we talk about return to play with sports. What about return to work, return to life, return to learn? for all of us that who aren't the elite professional athlete. Doctor, thank you for the critical information and your time. We appreciate it. You bet. Thanks so you much. Bet. Appreciate it. Darren Campbell on BYU Sports Nation. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. What's up, guys? I, I love that we're getting close to football, but a comment on Shaylee. She is the real deal. I know. Like, she's going to dominate this year. I just, this BYU basketball team with the additions is going to be loaded and mm. she is going to be dominating. I hope she makes some money with this new deal. And she told me because of COVID, she can be here three more years, not two which was a reminder. <laughs> That's and a crazy. Me. I was like, oh, my gosh. I'm so excited for women's basketball. I think that they will be a ranked team and, dare I say, win the West Coast Conference regular season this year. Yeah. yeah. And as good as, Shay- as good as Shaylee was this last year, your first year back from an ACL is only a sliver of what you're going to be because her mind is going to be more confident around that knee this season. And she, and she will be dominating. I can't wait to see her play A this fantastic year. point. Blaine Fowler with us on BYU Sports Nation. Okay, let's get to the quarterback talk, my friend. You have heard the cases for all three to start at BYU. Jerem presented Baylor Romney. Your good buddy Dave McCann had Jacob Conover, and I presented the case for Jaron Hall. Who has the strongest case to make the start against Arizona on September 4th at Darth Vader's Hangout, Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas? <laughs> I do like that you call it Darth Vader's hangout. I can't <laughs> wait till we're in there. Uh, it, it, it's it's a tough one, and and one that Aaron Roderick and Kalani haven't quite made yet, um, because as they got into spring ball, at different points in spring ball, you would have said different guys, and you guys have all made great points for each of these guys. Early in spring ball, I, I'm watching Jaron Hall, and I'm going, man, this guy's like the potential is through the roof unbelievably fast. He's a big physical guy. Like he's probably going to run a four, four come fall. Um, as, as big as he is, that's crazy speed, big arm. But in the first little bit of spring ball, I was going, Oh man, he's like been a little bit inconsistent. 
Uh, and so that, that's a problem. And really all we need out of the quarterback spot this fall is consistency, right? Then the last week of spring ball, he was phenomenal. He was just lights out the last week. I'm like, okay, there's the consistency. Did he win the job in that week? I think if he had been that way the whole spring, it would have been obvious. Um, but it was the last week where he really came into his own and started making great decisions and was making great throws, every throw, every practice, every play, right? Um, and so if he can continue that through the summer and come into the fall, you would think he would be the guy. In Baylor, what you have is a guy that's just always consistent. He gets the ball out. He's a great distributor. He's extremely accurate. He's earned um, his role with this team. They very much respect him as a leader. Um, he just doesn't make bad decisions. He probably best understands um, pre-snap what the defense has given him and who he's going to go to, and he has no favorites. When we were watching Zach Wilson – Two years ago, the thing was, man, is Zach making some decisions before the snap and just going to his favorite? Is the ball just going to Matt Bushman sometimes because he wants to go to Matt Bushman? And then last year, Zach started to go to wherever the defense dictated. And that was the difference between good and great. Baylor's the guy that just distributes the ball based on the defense. And with this receiving core, that, that's a big thing. And so I, I think those two will battle it out. Jacob Conover is crazy talented. And, and you guys, we were talking at the break about how athletic he is. He is sneaky athletic. When they're playing pickup basketball, they'll take the ball baseline and, and then go up in traffic and two-hand throw down dunk on people. That's how explosive Jacob Conover is. Quick release, makes all of the throws, very quick feet, and tremendous confidence. He reminds me of Max Hall early in his career with his confidence, uh, but he's probably more athletic than, than Max. Well, he is more athletic than, than Max Hall. So his potential is through the roof as well. But you'd like to not have to play that young guy right away. Um, and so so I, I, don't, I don't know if I answered it. My feeling is if Jaron Hall can take that last week of spring ball and carry that into the fall, he's going to be your guy. If he comes with some inconsistency, well, then Baylor's going to overtake him because Baylor doesn't play with any inconsistency. He's just consistent every play. And then I feel like they're going to bring Jacob along. And at some point, you know, they, they may need him. The beauty of, of, his, of him is he was able to come because of COVID to fall camp without any eligibility being used. And if you ask every player on BYU's defense, because Jacob ran that prep defense, they would tell you the best quarterback they faced all season last year. And I'm including UCF's quarterback and Coastal Carolina's quarterback would be the guy they faced in practice every day running the prep team, and that's Jacob Conover. He was that good as a freshman. But now he comes as a true freshman. He could redshirt. He could play in four games and redshirt this year, and, it, and you could really bring his development along. So I guess what I'm saying, guys, is BYU's in a phenomenal position right now. And what we've learned in the last, what, what we've learned in the last 10 years is we used to say if you don't have one quarterback, you don't have a quarterback. And I, I say if you don't have two or three now with the way injuries have played in this game, you, you might be in trouble, and BYU is crazy deep. This is as deep as they've been in a long, long time. And with the receiving core and the tight ends and the offensive line and the backs they have, any one of those guys could do it. So let's see who shows up and plays with the most consistency in the first week. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio.
And uh, we want to talk a little defense, so let's talk about it. Uh, linebackers get a lot of love here, Brian. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. the secondary. You, you love the secondary. We love the secondary. Safeties, that's a position of strength. Corners loaded this year for BYU. Mm-hmm. Let's talk defensive line. So there's this conversation that we have every year where it's like, the defensive line. When will BYU be the Kalani Stake, Utah defensive lines that were dominant? When will that show up here? Why doesn't BYU get enough sacks? Are they doing their job? They're not asked to do that. What do you want from the defensive line this year, Brian? So as a player, all I, all I wanted to do, and I would say specifically you know, being a corner, was just have my back, bro. Just have, have my back. What does what, that mean? What that means is I don't want to be covering somebody, a receiver, for 10 seconds. <laughs> Not five seconds either. I, like, I, how, how long was pre- preferred for you? Three seconds? Three. Two. If you're 2.7. Two, 2.77 seconds. Um, I, I think the average time NFL and college is, is about four seconds, maybe three and a half to four seconds, right? Um, when it comes to, to snapping the ball and, and the quarterback releasing it. Um, and, and so that's what I mean is, is that, you know, get, and we call it get home, especially if, if, if we're bringing pressure and blitzes, like get home, please have my back and put pressure on the quarterback, have my back to where you make my life easy. I'm sorry. I, I want you to make my life easy. I'm selfish. I'm sorry. But on the flip side, I'm going to help you as well, right? So I'm going I'm to, you know, come with it. I'm going to have good coverage and allow the quarterback to hold the ball, you know, maybe a, a second longer. And then you can go ahead, get the sack, make money, get all the glory, because we know corners and DBs, we don't get glory. But if we mess up, everybody sees it. Kind of like yeah. offensive yep. linemen, right? Yep. And, and so – to, to me, as a player, that, that's what I want. I think as a, as a defensive coordinator or somebody that is, is drawing up the schemes, I want, I want the defensive line to be physical, and I want them to have motor skills. Motor skills meaning you're not stopping at all. Somebody who is, is, is going, you know, 120% every single down. And, and being able to be physical, you, you're able to set the tone. And we hear this all the time. It starts in the trenches, but... Getting knocked, getting hit in the mouth starts in the trenches. You know what I mean? You set the tone for the entire game and for you really speak for the defense. Um, but, but most importantly, third downs, right? Um, get off the field on third downs. And to do that, you have to win on first and second downs. That's, that, that's what you have to do that because now as a defense, I can, I, can, I can dictate what I want to do versus the other way around. If it's third and long, guess what? Guess what you're doing? Guess what you're doing? Getting home, baby. No, 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 for offense, for offense. If it's third and long, what are you doing? You got to pass. You're passing. So what do you think I'm going to do? I'm going to blitz. You're going to get <laughs> I'm going to get I'm going to blitz, and I'm going yeah. to get home. Now, if it's third and three, third and four, I really don't know what you're doing. You know, it's, it's, it, it could be this way. It could be that way. You got you to get the offense off schedule, like you said. Because an, an offense wants to get to second and six or less. Third and three or less. It's, it's all this, – this will summarize it up. And I probably should say this in the beginning to better articulate my message. It's all about control, right? Who can control the, the, the series? Um, is it the defense or the offense? If the offense can get ahead of the chains, meaning third and one or, or get into third and short situations, yeah. now as a defense – I'm not in control. I don't really know if I should bring pressure or if I should drop, you know, drop eight. As an offense or as a defense, if it's, if it's third and long, like everybody in the whole world knows I'm blitzing, right? Or it should be. So, so if a defense can control the series, control the lines, 
and allow um, you know the offense to, to get into third and longs, that is what I want. Okay, tell me this. So I've asked this question for the last couple of years. Hey, why doesn't get, BYU get more sacks? So there, there, there's a couple of comments from Elias Tuyaki that totally make sense. One is the ball gets out quicker nowadays. That makes sense. Yeah, it's yeah. just harder to get home, right? Yep. Um, and when you get home, you're, you know, it's family. You're having corn on the cob <laughs> of the barbecue with uh, Dom Toretto and the gang, right? Um, yeah, go, go CF9, as I mentioned uh, yesterday. And uh, it's, it's just that BYU defensively, to the frustration of some fans who at times don't understand why, BYU's going to drop eight in a third and long situation against a quarterback who maybe not, might not find the window as easily. Two uh, references, 2019. BYU beats USC in Keaton Slovis. Because it drops eight often. Yep. Couple of picks. He was a freshman, first road game. He couldn't find the windows. Okay? Peyton Wilgar and Isaiah Kafusi with a couple of picks, right? Fantastic. Against Jordan Love. Oh, crazy. Uh, first round pick uh, after that season. Yep. Dropped eight, three picks. Yep. Peyton Wilgar again, by the way, with one of those. Sometimes that's the answer. Yeah. But the BYU defensive line, we've been told, is, well, you know what? Uh, like Kyrus Tonga, not a ton of sacks, nose tackle. He's going to stop the run. That's his job. Mm-hmm. It, it seems like it's been working pretty successfully through this group. But do, is there something, uh, I guess, what can the defensive line do better to help BYU to the next level? Because you're saying it starts with the D-line. So what's the next step for this group? Well, I, I think it has to be turnovers, um, pressure. and So obviously, you know, having more pressure is going to lead with, with more turnovers. And, and I would say being disruptive in the pass game. Really, I mean that's that's what it comes down to. Um, you can drop eight, and I would say the majority, like those situations. Oh, this is going to sound bad because I'm judging, but this is what you guys pay me to do, right? Is judge, and so it's an opinion it, it, talk show. Right, 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 right. Um, those quarterbacks, in my opinion, like if you drop eight and you're not having a lot of pass rush, the last thing that you should do is is throw a pick. I think. That's like the last thing. Like you, you got to be pretty bad to to, <laughs> to do that. You know what I mean? At well, least that's throw, the idea of putting eight dudes out there. Right, right. right. I mean, it, at you least have more defenders than defenders. At least throw the ball away or, or incompletion, whatever the case is. And so, you know, with that being said, if if a quarterback can take care of the ball, you know, well, mm-hmm. and you're dropping eight, well, cool. Now it's fourth down, and I'm putting the ball. And now we're we're kind of playing the field position game. Yeah. But instead of dropping eight, if I can bring pressure. And now I have, you know, these quarterbacks disrupted and I'm throwing an interception. That's one more turnover. You know what I mean? That's one more opportunity to score. And so, yes, you know, what we've seen so far is, is you know, stout defensive linemen, stout in the run game. But now turn up the heat. Get home and turn up the heat. Turn up the heat, please, in the kitchen. And, and be disruptive well, in the Well, in the oven, because if mom is or dad is sweaty and cooking, that's not going to work out well. Right? Dad's not. Dad's going to be hot and bothered. Look, look. Dads, dads <laughs> can't go into the kitchen. <laughs> Absolutely they can. Dads can't go in the kitchen. What when are you mom, talking about? Well, not when mom's in there. Well, it depend, depends if mom, uh, if there's too many cooks in the kitchen, I guess. Let's talk about who's on the defensive line. I wonder if BYU has found a defensive end who can get home a little better than the previous ones. And I think his name's Tyler Batty. We don't have a lot of volume with Tyler, but what we're told from the coaching staff is they think he's the next thing. Tyler Batty had three sacks in a game, four total last year. He only played in four games, then he got hurt. He was a freshman. He's a freshman again. That's one of the good things about COVID. It was mostly bad. 
One of the good, the good things was everyone keeps the year of eligibility, right? Mm-hmm. Lorenzo Faute is back after injury. Uh, Lorenzo is an end. Um, you know, Uriah Leatawa and uh, Gabe Summers and Atuna Samaje on, on the interior. I like this group. They haven't, like, gotten home a ton. We haven't had the Jan Jorgensen dude with, like, 28 career sacks. Corbin Kafusi was pretty good. Bronson was excellent. But I think BYU's been missing that elite edge rusher. Will we yeah. see a guy like Tyler become a very good edge rusher? That could make a difference this year. It's, it can make a huge difference. And, and I think, I think he, I mean, it comes down to recruiting, which everything does, right, when you, when you talk about building a program. That's a question I've had with, with Kalani Stuckey in this group is, man, you got all these good ones up at Utah. Yeah. Where are they at BYU? It's year five. Perhaps we're seeing a few of those develop into those types. And, and, and I, I think just by default – that's what BYU has to do is is get the best player that they can and then develop them, right? Um, they're, they're, it's hard to compete when you have an honor code. It's just gonna, you know, it's just it's just it's just a little bit hard to do that. So it's I, for for fans and, and for analysts, we have to, and even the coaching staff. I mean, they understand this and know this. It's gonna have to take time, right? So long, it's year five, let's go. You ha- for for the individual. I get your point, and I agree with you, man. Like. There should be some type of pipeline and roadmap for, for, for coaches understanding, okay, I'm not going to get the top-tier type of talent. Therefore, any talent that I do get, I'm going to make sure that by year two, they are game-ready, they have certain experience, and they potentially could start. I, w- the case I wish there was a junior college where there were like four BYU guys on the staff that they could just pull from. Hmm. The best of BYU Sports Nation. We'll be right back. Rise and shout for the trending topics of the week here on the best of BYU Sports Nation. What do you say? Pay the players. BYU Athletic Director Tom Holmo joined DJ and PK on the Zone Sports Network in Salt Lake City and said this Federal name image likeness legislation is progress, but not perfect. So today is a good day for our student athletes. But it's also one of those things like when you send your your children off to college and you're like, okay, (laughs) as best I can. But you know that you're going to get some calls back saying, hey, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. And I think a lot of kids are going to finally learn that you you have a name, an image, and a likeness, and you have to make of that what you make of it. It is up to the players, says Tom Homo, just about an hour ago, again on the Zone Sports Network. Okay, Blaine, we've already talked about some of the pertinent questions, the overlying headlines that go into this, and we'll hear more from Tom Homo in a moment, but let me ask you, what are the pros and cons of name image likeness now that it is officially in effect? Yeah, the, the pros are, in my mind, about fairness for these athletes because their image and their names, they've had their number on a jersey that universities have been able to license and, and take advantage of and build beautiful facilities with and pay coaches millions of dollars with. Um, and they've never been able to tap into that. The, the pro is that they can now do that. And if you've got good businesses in and around your university, this may help recruiting. You know, to say, hey, listen, our university has a great relationship with a lot of big businesses. Um, they, they can they can help you 
maximize your your name, image, and likeness, and all within fair market value, of course, right? That's one of the guidelines that we're going to talk about. But um, so so there are some pros. I, th- I think BYU is in a good position on this. There was a lot of up and coming businesses in this marketplace that would love to have a spokesperson from one of BYU's athletic teams uh, that would be good, a win win for both of them. So there's definitely some pros, and we, we've we've already outlined some of these athletes who come from dire situations financially, and for those athletes to be able to put some more dollars in, in to their families and help their families, I'm all for that all day long, right? The cons, and we're going to have to wait and see on some of these, but does this make the gap even bigger in college sports? Do the mm. programs that have unlimited resources, it seems like they do right now, even have more advantage in this? Does, does T. Boone Pickens at Oklahoma State have contracts with every single player to represent his business at a certain dollar value, you know? <laughs> um, are, are, are these numbers, is there going to be a cap on the number that people can make? Or are we talking about millions of dollars that are going to be pumped into to, uh, to players' pockets? And what impact does that have? And how do you keep teams together when one player might have monetized his stuff to the tune of half a million dollars and another player has no endorsement deals? whatsoever how do they coexist i guess it happens in the nfl but but even the the worst guy on an nfl team makes the nfl minimum i mean i'm not even sure what that is anymore i think it's three quarters of a million yeah like seven hundred fifty thousand dollars, right so nobody's a have not in in the nfl or in, in the nba um but there's just going to be this great diverse range of what what people make and then to me is if i'm a coach i'm going oh my goodness gracious how do we manage the their time now distraction i've ever heard of yes how do we manage what, the time how do now? we put limits on what they do what do you mean you got to go do your radio show three times a week during the season what do you mean you can't come to practice tomorrow because you have a photo shoot that's worth fifty thousand dollars like though those are issues that are going to come up and these teams and the, and the universities um are going to have to figure out how to manage through that. I think the biggest con is how much of a distraction is this going to be in season and how are these coaches going to manage that distraction to keep their teams focused on prep for games and not on how do I put another 20 grand in my pocket? And can players hire agents or personal assistants to handle all of this? what, what I've read so far, I believe they can. I think it all needs to be fleshed out. They can get people that can kind of help them work this and, and you know, get them out in the spotlight and help take advantage of that image and likeness, right? I mean, we're hearing about all kinds of crazy uh, deals already around the country. <laughs> the thing's one day old, and we're hearing about all, all kinds of crazy. And, and then what impact does it have on the young guys that are coming in and trying to assimilate into college? Like, So I read an article this morning that uh, – I don't know if you remember Brock Vandergrift is one of the top rated quarterbacks in the country. Georgia signed him. So he's a five-star guy. So he's an incoming freshman. Okay. And he already has an apparel deal. He hasn't played a down of college football, but he's got an apparel deal all set up day one into this. And so secure the bag. Yeah. And, and, and typically you're like freshmen don't know what they're doing. They need to knuckle down. They just need to do nothing but study and learn the game. They've got to do this, but Oh, He's got a couple of photo shoots this week because he's got an apparel deal. I think I think there's going to be some distractions wow. here that are going to be tough to manage. They're going to have to figure out how to do it. 
And and I think the cons, you know, cons are there, but I think the pros maybe outweigh the cons, at least at least at this point. We'll see how it goes. All right, I want to play another soundbite from BYU Athletic Director Tom Holmo, again on the Zone Sports Network just over an hour ago uh, with uh, DJ and PK. And specifically, he addressed having no state legislation. Again, federal government has had their initial say. There's no state legislation. Does that help BYU? And uh, how firm is everything right now listen to this you know in the state of utah there is no legislation which quite frankly i think it's a benefit to all the schools in the state and i think it'll be helpful for our student athletes and that we all are kind of on the same page and each one of our schools now can be able to regulate and assist student athletes to take advantage the best way they can with nil and I think that we put out something today that describes what our um, program is. It has to be that way if you don't, if you're not in a state that's legislated. And we feel that that will, it's not written in pencil, but we'll be, uh, we'll be changing it a lot in the next couple weeks and months to adapt to what we learn. Okay, nothing is sharpied in yet. Having no state legislation helps BYU. Yeah, and the reason Tom addressed that is is because there's more than 10 states now and counting that have already um, uh, implemented legislation to kind of control and put some boundaries on this. Utah's not one of those states. So Tom's saying this is good because now the schools can shape what they're going to do. And maybe if state legislation comes on the back end of this, it'll... It'll work with what the schools already have in place. And BYU's released a statement already yes. today where, where they've talked about what some of their guidelines are going to be. And we noted, Spencer, as we were reading through these, that um, there's still no monetary boundaries on anything or any description <laughs> of you know, how much well, can— How can and, you at this I, point? I don't, I don't know what they're going to do about that. That's the big elephant in the room. they got to see what the can, numbers are initially, can, I guess, to even some, have a Yeah, can somebody idea. go out and make a million bucks if they want to on with their Instagram account? Like— um, but but BYU's come up with with the following that compensation must be fair market value, um, and that's an interesting point because what is that? We I personally know bloggers in this state that have Instagram and blogs that have monetized those for over a million dollars a year. Okay, right here in the state of Utah, Utah's kind of the capital of that, right? So has to be fair market value. Well, what is fair market value in social media these days? I don't know what the cap on that is. And then it says no com- uh, a compensation for athletic accomplishments, meaning no no pay for play. Okay, so is the pay for play then in the form of the stipend that's already in there right, with, and the scholarship? They're not going to increase that or they're not going to give every football food. player this or quarterbacks this much. And they, See, that's smart to me. Right. That, that equalizes every, in terms of like what you do on the field, there has to be like a level yep. commitment there. But if you are more famous, per se, than one other... Then go get a car deal. Go make your own deals. But as far as the university goes, this is... I absolutely agree with that. Yep. And so, next one is um, athletes may use BYU-related marks and logos after the rights have been granted to do so. And then they're going to go through with all of these athletes um, with, you know, hey... If you want to use BYU's logos, we are going to grant permission, but it has to be certain guidelines, and we're going to go through that with you. So um, no NIL agreements with companies that don't conform to BYU Honor Code. There's a lot of verbiage around Honor Code, Honor Code, 
companies that would be so they're going to hold BYU accountable their athletes to to upholding the honor code in their endorsement deals which I think is fair yeah don't expect any BYU athletes to uh, show up with the Jack Daniels deal there could be some issues top 50 team when you think about that and how it relates to 130 Division I college football teams, you're like, okay, top 50, that's not bad. BYU, according to Phil Steele, who we will talk to in about 15 minutes, will finish the season ranked right at number 50 in his list of all 130 Division I college football teams. Okay? Chew on that for a moment. Now let's bring back up the fact that Kalani Satake was ranked the 46th best coach out of 130, according to the Sporting News. Let's double barrel this thing, Blaine. Is BYU, by terms of where they're projected to finish as a team in 2021, and Kalani Satake being the 46th best head coach in the country, being undervalued and underrated by the national media? I'm, I'm going to say yes Ooh. on both counts. And, and, le- and let's start with the first. I, may, I realize that people think um, that BYU is going to have a big drop-off after losing the number two draft pick, right? So, And it, people put so much stock in the quarterback position, and rightly so. It's the most important position on the field. There's no question about that. Um, but I think people are underrating how good the other quarterbacks BYU has in the program are. Okay. And I think they're also underrating what comes back around those players. To me, over time, over the last 35 or 40 years, when I look at BYU, I start right up front on the offensive line when I'm looking at their offense. And if that is a big physical group that can dominate, establish the run, and protect the quarterback, I always feel good about how they're going to do regardless of who's playing quarterback. And, and they've got three really good guys competing for this job right now that I think can get the job done. Sure. And, and that group up front for BYU, you have seven offensive linemen with starting experience coming back from I like BYU. what you're bringing up, Blaine. And, and I'm telling you, this is going to be a big, physical, nasty group. You complement that with a deep and talented receiving core where, where Puka and Samson Nakua have transferred in to bolster what was already a decent receiving core. So you add that to that, a very deep running back core with Katoa and Algier, who's by the way, by Phil Steele, ranked a top 10. He's number nine okay. um, uh, uh, with all running backs in the country. So you got a top 10 running back behind you. You have tight ends that are deep and big and very, very skilled. A headline by Isaac Rex. Dallin Hoker's back from his mission. So you got two freshman All-American tight ends that, that are there playing. I just think people are underrating. People think this offense is going to take a big step backward. I think they're going to be surprised. And and the defense lost some big stars, but that linebacking core that back that's back is and a word that we only use when it's appropriate. It's an elite group of linebackers. Okay. And it is an elite group of corners. And so with that in mind, I think the defense is going to surprise. So me where would I put them? Yeah, where would you place them? I'd have them in about 35th, top 35 to start. And I believe they can outperform that, but I certainly wouldn't have them at 50. And maybe I know a little bit behind the scenes of what's going on, but I would have him no lower than 35 going into the season. Okay, so to start the season, you've got BYU at, let's say, 35 right off the bat. Phil Steele is projected that BYU is going to finish 50th. Now I'm thinking about, okay, what type of record against that schedule loaded with seven power fives 
would earn a 50th overall ranking, maybe like an 8-5, and five, a 7-6? I, and I, six? I think a 7-6 and six against that schedule puts you in like a 50th rank. I don't know. Right. Okay. So, again, we're going to talk to him and ask him what went into him projecting number 50 at the end of the season. But I'm more in line with you, and we're tied into the program. We have access uh, to watch the players and talk with them. Like, I get it. Phil Steele has to do this for 130 teams. Yeah. He has to make projections where they'll finish on 130 separate accounts. So he gets a pass there a little bit. But the thing that's working against that number, as you pointed out, is several solid position groups coming back around the quarterback. So much is being heaped on the fact that Zach Wilson left. Okay, I don't, Honestly, I don't care who starts against Arizona in week one. Whoever it is, Baylor, Romney, Jacob Conover, Jaron Hall, BYU is going to win the game because they have awesome running backs. They have a loaded wide receiver group, incredible tight ends, an experienced offensive line coming back, and the defense is going to be better, specifically at linebacker and corner, than most people are anticipating it to be. Overall, Blaine, I'm, I don't care who starts quarterback – I like BYU to win against Arizona and compete for sure when they open up their home campaign in what's going to be a raucous environment against Utah on September 11th. So you and I are in agreement. And and to touch on the Kalani point, when, when you look at the, the rankings, I noticed in, in this list that Sporting News put out, a lot of SEC loaded at the top. And to me, when I'm looking at co- coaches and rating these coaches, I think – not about what program they're coaching. I think about what do they do with the resources they have and the limitations. Yeah. For that reason alone, you know, guys like Kalani Sataki, Hugh Freeze at Liberty, I think they both deserve to be a lot higher on that list than they currently are. Okay. For Kalani, number 46, the thing that's working against him is that the national pundits are looking for consistency. Yeah, he went 9-4 and four his first season. Then had the worst season in 50 years in BYU in 2017, seven and six, seven and six, and then the breakout year, 11 and yep. one. But it was against uh, an asterisk schedule because of the COVID stuff. If Kalani Sataki can piece together a nine-win season against this schedule, now we're talking. Yep. Now, now we're, it's validated now we're as him being like a top 30, top 35 coach in college football. Right on. I'm with you. I'm with you. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Hear what the coaches, athletes, and experts have to say. Here's another great interview from the week on the best of BYU Sports Nation. Now, for BYU with no conference, rankings matter so much. Like, that's the number one indicator of, are you relevant? Last year, clearly, BYU was relevant. They finished ranked for the first time since 2009, number 11, just outside the final top 10. And we're thinking, okay, schedule ramps up, seven power fives, some pretty good G5s on the schedule this year, and no Zach Wilson. Man, what kind of a mini miracle is it going to take for BYU to finish ranked? Or is it a mini miracle, Blaine? And, and I look at it this way. And you, you and I just, in, in our first uh, segment, talked about what they've got coming back offensively. And I think they're better defensively than people are going to give them credit for. I don't think people know who their corners are coming back. I think BYU is going to be able to play a lot more man next year and be aggressive defensively because they can flat out cover. So, so I think this team's going to outperform most people's expectations. Um, maybe not yours and mine, but most people's. Okay. Um, I said this a couple of weeks ago on the show. 
that this reminds me of 84, um, where although 84's team was getting a little more respect, and it was because BYU was consistently ranked. Sure, right? you were coming off so a season time. where you were number seven in the country with yep. Steve Young. Right, and so, so we'll, we'll get back to that. We've got, we've got Phil Steele joining us now, uh, yes. and, uh, and we, we want to get with Phil right away while we've got him here, and we'll come back to that discussion in just a second. Okay, on the Deseret First Credit Union hotline, the man, the myth, the legend, the insider of college football producing – the always heavily talked about Phil Steele college football previews joining us. Phil, nice to have you back on the program. How are you? You know, I am doing great. So much better than last year at this time, guys, when we were wondering if we were even going to play a football season. And who knew, who knew what BYU's schedule was going to be last year at this time? So, so much better in uh, 2021. Not very many teams benefited from COVID, and, and I'm not going to say it wasn't a grind for BYU as well as they tested every other day all season long and had guys in and out and coaches in and out. So it's tough for everybody. But did any team benefit more from the COVID season than BYU last season? No, and you know, the the perfect irony of it was uh, usually I'd uh, talk to Coach Sataki and I'll talk to him for an hour, hour and a half, and at the end of the conversation, we were just about to hang up last year. He goes, you know, Phil, we don't play the schedules we used to play at BYU. And I, I was like, okay, see you, Coach. And I'm like, that's an interesting thought. I hadn't really thought about that. And then, boom, they played the type of schedule they used to play. And look at what BYU did, a fantastic season and dominating almost every opponent down the stretch. So it was uh, it was his best team ever experience-wise. They played the schedule. There was a dream schedule. And if not for some game scheduled two days in advance where they have to fly to the East Coast and prepare for an option offense, uh, they would have easily have run the table last year. Phil Steele is on BYU Sports Nation. You brought up Coach Satake. We were just talking about the sporting news ranking all 130 college football coaches. They have Kalani at number 46. Both Blaine and I here feel like that might be a little bit too low, but again, we're tied into the program. We see him on a day-to-day basis relatively, and uh, there may be some bias there too because the show is called BYU Sports Nation. But, Bill, <laughs> where would you rank Kalani Sataki? Do you feel like 46 is maybe undervaluing him a little bit or where it needs to be? Well, there are there are a lot of good head coaches in college football. I mean, there's only 130 spots available, and most of the guys in there are outstanding. But uh, I, I thought with the job he did last year, uh, clearly I would have put him top 40. I don't know if I have him in the top 20 quite yet. I'd like to see a few more years like last year strung together. Uh, but definitely, uh, I would if you're giving me an over-under on that ranking, I would go a better, a higher number than that. Better Agreed. number. Agreed with that, Phil. Thanks, thanks for that. <laughs> Thank you now, for validating and, no, us, and, Phil. <laughs> and, we, and we agree with you 100% on the fact that now they have to have this consistent pattern. You want to be considered Lavelle Edwards, you have to have a consistent pattern of winning and not just have it be once in a while. So, so, so we're with you on that one. Yeah, we didn't have him in our top 20, but we just thought 46 with what he deals with and the limits that he had was maybe just yes. a little bit low at this point. So let, let's talk about BYU's ranking. Um, we know you, you give a power ranking, but you also talk about where you see these teams finishing, which I love that thought prospect. When the thing's all said and done, this is where I see uh, these teams. And we always love to go to that, that section of your, of, of the, of your, um, per, uh, uh, your magazine. And you have BYU finishing at 50 this year. Talk about what went into that thought um, and, and why – in our minds, we're like, whoa, why so, why so low? But again, of course, this is BYU Sports Nation, right, Phil? (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, the one thing about this year, guys, and the the one thing that was consistent in talking, I I talked to a little over 
110 of the 130 head coaches this year, uh, almost every head coach this year was talking about their experience level. You know, Phil, we're, we went three deep in the spring. We are so loaded with experienced players. Everybody's got 16, 17, 18, 19 returning starters coming back. Give you an example. You go to the Pac-12 and, and Colorado. Uh, Colorado's got 16 returning starters this year. Now, normally that puts you number two or number three in the conference. That's actually the second fewest returning starters in the Pac-12. So everybody has got experienced teams this year. And meanwhile, BYU lost some players. They only have 11 returning starters coming back. They lose the second overall pick in the draft, a quarterback. So it's a it's an inexperienced squad. But then the other part's the schedule. And you, it's factored in. And, and generally when I'm doing the ranking, guys, it's in the last second two last two days of the magazine and I'm looking at my nine sets computer rankings and they're all melded together and I'm going for top wins and losses and uh, that's I want to make sure that the my top 40 are all in bowl games my top 45 top 50 are even all in bowl games uh, they do have to play USC on the road this year uh, I would have an underdog in that game the Georgia Southern game is a tricky one because that's the option offense and uh, they're tough Washington State's going to be a much improved team this year Baylor's going to be a vastly improved team last year uh, both those teams had first-year head coaches last year that didn't have the benefit of spring practice and were drastically changing their schemes. I think those two will be much tougher. Boise's not going to be an easy test. Andy Envelope's stepping into a good situation there. And then Utah and Arizona State are probably the top two of the top three teams in the Pac-12 this year. BYU could very well be underdogs in both of those games. So I didn't quite see them getting back to the double-digit wins this year with that schedule and the experience level that they have. But uh, in the power poll, we've got them ranked higher. Yeah, that's what we, we noted that in the power poll. You had, had them a little bit higher, and, and you've got some of their position players ranked really high. You had Tyler Algier, uh, their returning running back, 1,000-yard rusher, is the number nine draft-eligible running back in the country. You've got uh, James Empey at number seven, their center, number seven center in the country. Um, you got the kicker, Jake Oldroyd, uh, number four, and their overall special teams ranked in, as, as a top 10 special teams unit in, in the country. So, hey, we, we know you gave them a little bit of, bit of, bit of love, Phil, and, and you even stated in, in your article that maybe BYU would outperform. There's a good possibility they could outperform uh, projections. What do you see as their biggest strength going into this season? Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. I'd have to say uh, two areas, uh, running back, uh, as you mentioned with Algier, I mean, he's a guy that moved over from linebacker at the end of two years ago, had a really good final three games, and then last year, once he came on, he was just dynamic. He averaged 7.5 yards per carry, rushed for over 1,000 yards, and then they've got uh, Katoa behind him, and Katoa's another guy that uh, could very well work himself into an NFL camp by the, by the end of his career, and then the offensive line. I mean, the offensive line has got... Uh, three returning starters, but uh, they are deep. Going over the team with Coach Sataki, uh, I had question marks in a lot of different areas. And he, I would say, like on the defensive line, for example, I'd say, you know, I'm really concerned about this area. He's like, I'm not as concerned about it, Phil. I feel pretty good about it. So, uh, But the, the two areas is the best strengths, I would have to say. Offensive line, running back, and then uh, perhaps linebacker would be the uh, the best unit on the defense. Okay, you maybe just brought it up as we look at the other end of this conversation, and that is what is the biggest perceived weakness or biggest question mark for BYU? Is it the quarterback replacing Zach Wilson, or is it the defensive line? Uh, those would be my two biggest areas. And and like I said, I told 
Coach Sataki, I go, I'm very concerned about this defensive line. Then he said, he's not. And he likes he likes the three deep of it and thinks they're going to play extremely well and be very close to last year. Uh, we'll wait and see. But he's been correct in the past in some of the things he's told me. Very correct. You know, more so, and he knows his team extremely well. The quarterback situation, I, I think they've got three good candidates there. Conover, Hall, and Romney, all solid guys. I think they're going to put up good stats, but they're not going to put up uh, Zach Wilson stats this year. I mean, 33 touchdowns, three interceptions, 74% completions. That's not going to happen. So both areas would be a concern. But once again, Coach Sataki doesn't think they're going from a strength to a weakness. They just might not be as strong as last year. I noted, Phil, that you, as you listed the quarterbacks, you had Jacob Conover's name listed first as, as a projected guy there. Uh, give us the thought process behind the youngster being the guy that gets the nod. Well, he's a guy that came into the spring, and uh, you know he's got a live arm, a great playmaker, and he had a really good spring. And uh, you know, Jaron Hall was there, Braylon Romney was there, but I like it when a, a freshman quarterback comes in and produces in the spring because their upside's higher. You know, the, the more reps they get, the better it is. So I just gave him the, the higher upside of the three, and I'm, I'm thinking that when the fall rolls around, he'll end up winning that job. Phil Steele is on BYU Sports Nation. Okay, let's go back to rankings because all BYU fans, especially as an independent, want to know how to remain relevant, and that is largely tied into the top 25. So looking at that schedule, and you went through a gauntlet of really tough opponents for BYU. What type of record in the 12-game regular season would BYU have to post to have a legitimate shot at finishing for a second consecutive year in the top 25? Uh, probably nine. I think nine would definitely put you in the top 25 against that schedule this year, uh, you know, because there would be some upsets along the way. Playing the top three teams out of the Pac-12 South and USC, Utah, and Arizona State, all three teams I think will enter uh, potentially double-digit wins this year. That right there sets it up well. And then, as I mentioned, Baylor and Washington State are much better than people give them credit for. Uh, Bronco Mendenhall coming back to BYU on October 30th. He's not wild about that, by the way. Uh, they play they play Boise State uh, at home. I think if they get to nine wins, I'm putting them in the top 25. And you know they've they've got seven P5s on this schedule. How many of those do they have to win? I mean, and and are they allowed to lose to anybody other than a P5? So, you know, what, what do you expect then to go against those seven? Yeah, I you know, and the thing is. Normally, when I do the uh, magazine, I spend about uh, it takes about three to four weeks for the magazine to hit the uh, the newsstands, and in that time, I go through every game on the schedule and have whether I have the team favored or underdog. So far, I'm only through five games with BYU. I've got them a underdog against Utah and Arizona State, slight underdog, not a big underdog in either game, but a slight underdog. So so far, I've got them down with two losses, but I haven't finished the rest of the schedule yet. I'm on week six right now, so it's going to take me a little bit of time. The good news is going exclusively to Barnes & Noble and Books A Million like we did this year, in the past it would take three to four weeks to hit the, the magazine's places. Barnes & Noble, Books A Million had them on the shelf about a week after we went to the press. So that's been the big advantage of going exclusive this year. But unfortunately, it's put me a little behind in my overall estimation. So when I look at a matchup, I like to look at everything. I like to look at the, how the teams match up against each other, the series history, the location, the situation, all that stuff involved. So off the cuff, I can't really give you a number until I actually go through each matchup.
Yeah, but, totally like fair. Said, we, we get it, they, we get it. But nine, they, but nine wins if, is the watermark for a top 25 in your oh, mind. I like yeah, that. And yeah. I, don't, I don't care who you beat and who you lose to. Because if you lose three bad games, but you beat Utah, Arizona State, and USC, <laughs> you're going to be in the top Still 25, yeah. okay? Yeah. So it doesn't matter which nine. Give me nine wins, and I'll put you in the top 25. Sure, there, there may be go. some serious question marks about uh, what's going on against the lesser opponents if you're beating right. those three, but that's a conversation <laughs> and discussion for another day. Okay, let's just have some fun. With, I know you haven't gone through game by game as far as like who should be favored and, and who shouldn't be, but if you had to pinpoint the toughest opponent – on BYU's schedule right now, who is the toughest team that BYU is going to face in 2021? Uh, and once again, you have to factor in home and away. So I'm going to use at USC on November the 27th. Uh, the, I would put USC, Utah, Arizona State, all very close talent-wise. But BYU gets Utah at home and they get Arizona State at home. They have to travel to face USC. And they have to. it's going to be their second straight road trip, and they're coming off facing the option of Georgia Southern. I'm never wild about facing the option one week and then playing the next week because of all the cut blocking and things that go on. So I think that is going to be their toughest game on the schedule would be at USC this year. Phil, we've got uh, our copy of your college football preview sitting on the desk with us. It is always an enjoyable read. So much information. You mentioned a couple of ways that uh, fans, BYU, and college football fans in general can get it. Uh, What's the fastest way to get that information if they don't have it right now? Yeah, the best way to get the magazine, it's 352 pages. It's like getting 130 different media guys rolled into one. Uh, is to go to a Barnes & Noble or a Books A Million. And if you go to Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, you have it today in your hands, no shipping, no handling, no anything else, and you got the, the best magazine out there. It's heavy, it's thick, but if you can't get to a Barnes & Noble or Books A Million, then go to the website, philsteel.com. When you go to philsteel.com, we ship them out two-day FedEx, so they'll get there probably – Give us a day to process it, two days to ship FedEx. You'll have it in your hands in three days. And it'll take you about two months to read through one, but uh, it's well worth it. It's something you refer to all season long. Uh, yeah, we, awesome. can, we can attest to that now for sure. And we're all excited about football season, Phil. Fans in stands, football is back. Oh, love it. I love it. That is uh, such a huge thing, and, and I, I can't wait to see the crowds again. It's great to talk to you, Phil. Uh, we'll do it again soon. Thanks so much. Hey, thanks for having me on. A lot of fun talking football with you guys today. Thanks, Phil. College Football Insider Magazine producer Phil Steele on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, you know why we show how. We'll be right back with more of the best of BYU Sports Nation. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. Top 5 Tuesday, presented by Delta Airlines. Keep climbing. It's Dennis Pitt's 36th birthday. So here's five plays, I guess. Brian, here's number five. 2008 versus Northern Iowa. Oh, FCS. Good job. check, (laughs) Check out this great diving catch by your boy. Stretching out, one-hander. So it doesn't really matter what the competition is. Northern this Iowa. is an individual type of performance, stretching out. Yeah. That's oh, a nice, I, thought, I thought it was one-handed. That's but. a nice play. All of these, like, an SD because Dennis is so old, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> number four. He's kind of blurry. Yeah, number four. 2009 at Colorado State. Touchdown catch falling out of the end zone. 
If only he had caught it inbounds and made it a little easier. Unnecessarily diving. <laughs> didn't, didn't need to. Great catch by Dennis. BYU won 42-23. How about this? Colorado State dominating yards 408-256, but BYU put up 42 points. So, yeah, this was this was uh, 2009, man. Brian Logan, you were watching I, this on the sideline, yeah, bro. I, I do. You and I both watched this play on the sideline. I, rem- I remember him doing like <laughs> catching this and going, thank God, because I just gave up, I think, a touchdown. <laughs> I gave up two touchdowns. <laughs> you didn't give up a single touchdown to BYU. <laughs> That's not true. Two touchdowns I, I gave up this game. So, I, I, I thank him for that, 100%, man. Uh, I think Max, it was a great throw. Yeah. Max, Max, Max. I think Luke Ashworth could have done the same thing. He did a little bit in 2010. Yeah. When, when, against Colorado State? Against Colorado State, yeah. How many times have we been watching this? I actually had a, I actually had a, <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry, I'm still going. This is the most going. loved Dennis. Is that, what's I'm, number three? I'm still going and going and going. Number three is uh, Colorado State, 2008. Uh, great kid. This is a, a, a wild catch right here. This is I, so I see receivers actually practice this type of drill, and so smashed? What, what what happens is they'll they'll go one way, um, you know, shoulders turn one way, and then the ball is thrown on the back shoulders, yeah. the back side. It's Benjamin so, Jurgens, twenty fifteen. So, yeah, so basically they, they have to they have to plant and turn and, and turn and do a complete you know one eighty um, while the while they're running while the ball is in the air and catching the other shoulder, uh, but then to get hit, helmet to come off. Um, what a throw by Max. Uh, the, the corner blitz, right? Okay, why can't Dennis find a helmet that fits? <laughs> okay, it just pops up. Number two, 2009 versus Oklahoma. Dennis Pitta has a 23-yard catch on fourth down. This is an amazing play. Dennis barrels all the way inside the five. Boom. And guess what? The helmet pops up. I'm telling you, there was a real problem. Mick Hill, what <laughs> happened? Why can't we get a helmet that fits? Look, this, that this, was a great play. He had 62 yards on that game-winning drive, by the way. This is this, look how the difference of, of the, oh, this the is, visual. This is what's called high definition. So crisp. Yeah. And so clean. Thank you, ESPN, the Mountain. You suck. Number one, 2008 versus Colorado State. Why am I getting all the Colorado State wins? Game-winning <laughs> touchdown. Ones. Yeah. This is a great catch by Dennis. The the, the aftermath catches at what the seven and just barrels into the. And into the, end. the most impressive thing is his helmet stayed on. I'm shocked. I'm shocked. You already won that game 45-42. Fun story about this particular play. I'm about to call a women's volleyball game. I'm, I'm, you know, we're in the middle of the prayer. Someone in the truck says, Dennis Pitta just scored. BYU's going to win the game. And I say really loud during the prayer, Dennis Pitta just scored? Like that loud. <laughs> and, and everyone turns and looks at me like, oh my gosh, well, Brian, what are you doing? <laughs> so Dennis Pitta... Interrupting prayers for the norm. Those are the top five plays from Dennis Pitta. Now, as good as those were, I actually have a different number one that I liked more. Um, and once I found out we were doing this during the show, I requested this, and our, our team got this together. Last year, we did the best to wear it series by jersey number in BYU history, which is super fun. And we were pretty bored. It was it was COVID. Um, <laughs> number thirty-two obviously goes to Jimmer Fredette. There's no contest there. Like if you think it's otherwise, I really question you know the logic. I would think it's Dennis. Okay, enough from you. <laughs> Here's what Dennis thought of the situation. The honorable mention at number 30. There's no Come need on. to mention any honorable mentions of number jump 30. Up, up. Oh, oh, oh. Oh. Guys, what is this? Guys, guys, guys they, gave it, they gave it to Jimmer. They gave it to Jimmer. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing here? Hello, Dennis. Dennis, what are you, what are you doing here? 
I hope you're happy, Jerem. Now my kids' hey, day is ruined. Dennis's kids, Jimmer was better than your dad. <laughs> True, Jimmer was better better than Dennis. That's hilarious. That, that, that was funny, right? That that is hilarious, man. He was... guys, guys, they give it to Jimmer. You thank you for ruining my kids' day. Yeah, we're we're uh we're told that Dennis is in Hawaii celebrating the fact that he got the top five. It also happens to be his birthday. Nice. Yeah. Oh, so that's probably I mean that's probably his birthday present. Is being in Hawaii. I think that's the safest stuff. That's yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I would love to to do that. Yeah. So happy birthday to Dennis. Happy birthday, Relax, Dennis. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Build your case for each of the three potential starting quarterbacks at BYU. In fact, we've divvied up the responsibilities. And Jerem Jordan, I hereby dub you the case builder for one Baylor Romney, who all he does is beat ranked Boise State teams. Well, you don't have to make my argument for me. I'll do that. But, uh, okay, so I'll take Baylor Romney. Okay. I've got four reasons why Baylor Romney should be the starter. How many of you guys like beating a ranked team? I do. Oh, wait, I did that. I'm Baylor Romney in 2019. By the way, Zach Wilson did that one time. One time. Ooh. Last year. How about a team that finished ranked so they were actually good when the dust settled? Oh, that's only me and not Zach Wilson any times. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, I'm not saying I'm better than Zach. I'm just saying I've done something pretty impressive, right? Okay, reason number three. Do you like beating rivals? I've already mentioned Boise State. How about Utah State? Uh-huh. Jaron Hall, great job. Love you. Got us a 21-14 late at the break. Did you like the 21 points I equaled in the second half to make it a 42-14 mm-hmm. dominating win? A blowout? Did you like that? You like that! Oh, and by the way, I won another game against Liberty the next week. And I almost uh, beat South Florida. I had to come in and kind of try and save that one. Didn't do it, but it was close. I hadn't played college football yet. I'm healthy. I'm ready. There's no mitigating issues with me. Jaron's a baller, no doubt. One concussion, he might be done with football. We don't want that. We want Jaron Hall, right? That's scary. Jacob, a baller, too. But he's a freshman. Listen, what have I done to not deserve the starting job? All I've done is... uh, Win or save someone else's bacon, win, right? Win, 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 win. Yes. Boise State, Utah State, Liberty. I've been in the fire. I'm healthy. I'm ready. Let's go. Make me the starter. All right. Baylor Romney, the case for number 16 to start for BYU. And I'm a Romney! <laughs> <laughs> but if Baylor gets the backup job, I guess it's the second place Romneys. How many of those guys have a Mexican backdrop? Come on. Yeah, Mormon Colony. Shout out. I love it. Okay. Case number two, and to do so, we bring in one of our good friends. Dave McCann joins us on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline via Zoom. Dave, you like Jacob Conover today. Build your case for Jacob Conover. Well, he's the uh, new kid in town and uh, comes from a big-time high school in Arizona where he won three straight state championships. He threw for over 10,000 yards, over 100 touchdowns. He ran for over 560 career yards and eight more touchdowns. This is the highest level of Arizona football. Now it's high school. All right. Uh, Went on a mission, came home, had a few months cut off that mission, which allowed him to be the scout team quarterback at BYU all last season against the top 10 defense, who, as you two are witnesses of, we have heard from many coaches that have said Jacob Conover had lit up their defense that day in practice. We heard it a number of times, and Blaine will confirm that if you don't believe me. Uh, 
you know what? He's 6'1". He's agile. He's got a great arm. He hasn't played Division I football. Nick Saban offered him a scholarship on the spot, and he said, I'm going on a mission. I'm going to BYU. Nick Saban seems to know talent when he sees it. Kalani Sataki knows talent when he sees it. I love his attitude. I talked to some of his teachers in his class, and they said, you know what? There's something different about this guy. And it's not just what number 17 does on the field. It's his moxie. It's his ability to make plays. And um, he's a freshman, but the other two are sophomores. They've had D1 experience. Jaron, a year and a half ago, when he, before he got hurt, and then Baylor in mop-up duty last year, and then he had those starts two seasons ago. But because of the COVID years, typically if you've got a junior or a senior, they play ahead of the freshman. This year you have two sophomores and Conover as a freshman. Are all three going to be together for the next three or four seasons? I don't know. But I think the competition is uh, wide open going into fall, and I wouldn't be surprised. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Against Arizona down there in front of 60,000 BYU fans in Vegas, I wouldn't be surprised if young Jacob Conover slips behind the center and fires things up. I think we'll see all three. We've needed all three. You know, you hear often from coaches that say, if you have two quarterbacks, it means you don't have one. If you have three quarterbacks for BYU, it means they have three quarterbacks. Um, and they're all pretty good. I, I think the tools are around Conover that would allow a talented freshman to come in and settle in and play well right out of the gate, uh, as opposed to the years past where he's got to come in and be phenomenal. This is not the same team that Zach went into on the field as a freshman. Uh, Conover's got an 1,100-yard running back. He's got an All-American tight end. He's got the Nakua brothers. He's got his former teammate from Chandler, Gunnar Romney, Neil Pau, a big offensive line, a deep backfield. Once you get past Algier and Katoa, and man, I just think it's set up for. I don't think you can lose if you go with either three. In this case, you go with the young guy and have a wild four years. A com- That's my case. Hey, a compelling case from Dave McCann. Did you stay up late last night, Dave? Putting all this Dave's together. Dave's used to staying up late. <laughs> I've been thinking about this for months, and we got what? We got five more weeks till AFR. We'll start. It's the story of the summer, right? No one's wondering who's going to play center. They want to know who's <laughs> the center you're going to give the ball to. Hey, great stuff. Good to talk with you. We'll do it again soon. Dave McCann on the case for Jacob Conover. And, uh, again, some compelling points for sure. I feel like I drew the favorable straw in this competition, if you will. Oh, so do I. Crazy. Because I was given <laughs> the responsibility of making a case for Jaron Hall. When the bishop asked you... To make the case for Jaron Hall. <laughs> I'll start with this. How many of these guys are true dual threats? Ah, uh, yes. Only one of them is a true dual threat and can step into that role that Zach Wilson leaves behind, able to attack with run and pass. Also, how many of these guys had their offensive coordinator, Aaron Roderick, say, uh, he played maybe the best half of football I've ever seen at the collegiate level in my time as an offensive coordinator. Yes, that was Jaron Hall against Utah State before an unfortunate concussion knocked him out of the game. I think not only is he, again, in the words of Aaron Roderick, going to be hard to beat if he stays healthy, but, Jerem, I feel like he has the swagger necessary to be the quarterback at BYU. He started his first game on the road. Now, not that Baylor's wins shouldn't, be, I mean, certainly credited for awesomeness, but they were in Lavelle Edwards Stadium 
other than the second half at Utah State. He didn't start that game on the road. Jaron, both of his starts came on the road and – I thought every game was a neutral or home game. For oh, every game's a home game for BYU? Go, wait, I thought, <laughs> was that not the case? There is something to be said about learning the hard way and having the swagger of having to make those pressure road starts. I think if Jaron Hall stays in the game against South Florida, BYU wins that game. Maybe Charlie Strong still has his job. Or no, actually, he wouldn't have his job because BYU would have beaten them, and he lost his job. Well, anyway. South Florida sucks. So no he lost either. his job anyway. Okay, strike that from the record. But he's got the swagger on the road as a dual threat, and I just think his dynamic playmaking ability opens up the playbook more than the other two candidates. That is the case for Jaron Hall. I hadn't thought about the case against Jaron. Here we go. Uh, until sitting on this side. Jaron Hall hasn't finished a game as a starter. The injuries That's are the is- case. That's an issue. The injuries are the case so, against. How much is he running anyway? You know what I mean? With that, like the big question mark with Jaron is health yes. regarding concussion. Without question. That is a scary thing. Jaron um, quit baseball to focus on the pursuit of being the starter. Obviously, he wants to be the starter. He would have been the backup if he was healthy last year, but he wasn't. He had a, 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 a hip injury that he was dealing with as well. He says on media day he is 100%. He's good to go. So that's great because if he's healthy, he's going to be hard to beat out. The words of Aaron Roderick, right? If. It's a huge if. And he says he is. So we either think he's lying or we believe him. Yes. And we believe him here, right? So I, I'm interested to see that. Baylor Romney, to me, is a tremendous backup. And then Jacob Conover, I want him to redshirt. That's what I want. I, but like Dave said, I would be fine with any of the three. I really would. That wraps up the best of BYU Sports Nation this week. Tune in next Saturday for the Cougar news you need to hear. And catch the BYU Sports Nation simulcast every day at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific, on BYU TV and BYU Radio. BYU.